0: Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Marty Elliott, and today, I think it's the third uh, leading conversation regarding electric ice resurfacers. Good friend, Terry Pichet from Ontario Recreation Facility Association. Terry, how are you today, sir?
1: Marty, I am great. How are you, my friend?
0: Very good, very good. It's uh, getting busy out there. I'm sure uh, I can speak to all the members that uh, people are turning plants on and checking their uh, their ice resurfacers, making sure they get everything working properly because things are starting to go. But mm-hmm. you know
1: what, Marty, it's probably a good uh, uh, kickoff to this. It's not quite on the subject matter we're there, but it's important that we remind all arena operators and owners that their plants have been sitting idle for extended periods. And we've had some significant seal leaks. Uh, mm-hmm. That has caused some problems because kind of like putting that, you know, that classic Mustang away for uh, two years and then starting it up and, and then things start to go uh, haywire on us a little bit. So it it's essential that they soap test all our gaskets and, and such so that uh, leakage is going to be, uh, you know, not on the radar.
0: Yeah, that's great, uh, great uh, information to share with the audience, uh, Terry. Yeah, I, I, I spoke to uh, one of the industry leaders in that uh, in the refrigeration side and uh, their service department, they're just nonstop right now. They can't get the customers quick Absolutely. enough because every, yeah, so I know you know that and the audience certainly yep. knows that, but yeah, that's great uh, Great feedback for the audience. But let's get into the, uh, the topic of uh, evolution of electric ice resurfacers and uh, uh, go from there. Um, you uh, you had talked about uh, our previous conversations that we've had, uh, the history of uh, electric ice resur- resurfacers with Zamboni, and and we can talk further about that and get into cost of ownership, and uh, we'll just take it wherever this goes. How's that work?
1: I, I think that's great Marty, and you know I, I'm often asked where do we come up with these topics, and I kind of align them of what don't i know about this business and i can tell you that i've watched uh, and and that'll be one of the things i'm going to look for clarification you guys call them electric i call them battery because they have a battery in them and and i've watched them evolve and one of the things we have spoken uh, on other uh, uh social medias in regards to the history of of uh, you know the electric machines and I was surprised to find out that it was just a baby when these things were first introduced by Frank Zamboni. I really thought that it was something that was just uh just part of the uh the last 20 year landscape basically of our industry. But yeah, it seems that you guys have been experimenting with it for quite a while. So, you know, let, let's just maybe revisit that for the listeners so that they understand what uh what the uh, what Frank Zamboni was doing back in the 60s when it comes to
0: this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And some know, some don't, but uh, it was introduced actually at the 1960 uh, Squaw Valley Olympics, our first uh, 500 model uh, electric uh, battery slash battery machine, uh, DC, if you will, that was available at that time that uh, Frank had uh, had manufactured and introduced it at the Olympics. And since then we've been continuing to develop through R&D with our engineering department to right to where we are today to our lithium-ion uh, machine and uh, believe it or not, it'll be uh, somewhere down the road to very soon, we'll, we'll be introducing a new electric machine uh, coming in out of the Canadian plants in Brantford, Ontario. So excited about that moving forward.
1: Well, it, it has to be one of the things that's impacting our, our industry significantly in regards to the shift for many reasons. Uh, you know, we, we always point at them uh, being more environmentally friendly we can talk about that because again uh, my research into uh, uh, you know the, the actual materials that are needed to make a battery power unit may not make it as environmentally friendly if you drill down deep enough but again mm-hmm. i'm i'm here as the student not as the teacher but let, let's start <laughs> maybe at the basics so that you can educate me you know what you guys call them electrics and uh i'm old enough to remember when uh, the manufacturers tried attaching a cord to these things and hung from the ceiling uh, in an mm-hmm. ice rink and the whole trick was that the uh, when they were driving in circles was not to tangle themselves up uh, mm-hmm. i do know uh, on several occasions where they pulled the cord out of the wall uh, mm-hmm. because they went a little bit too far with it or it got uh, it got jammed up internally and uh like i said to me that was an electric but you guys refer to the battery technology as electric
0: what, what, what's the background there um well the source the source of energy uh, is why it's referred to from an electric standpoint battery yes in the beginning what you're referring to but electric being the source of energy being electricity um how the uh, actual um ice resurfacer uh is being charged is being powered through a charging system uh which is uh, 600 uh, amps, uh, three phase uh, for our, our uh, machines, uh, whether it be acid, uh, lead acid or lithium ion. Um, they're different uh, charging units, but that's where electrical or lectri- electric ice resurfacers comes from because the source is okay. electricity.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's probably the best explanation I've got so far. So I'm not much wiser from, from the go around. So uh, I, I mean, the, uh, I saw, and, and the reason I, I bring up the the corded module because they came and had that natural life cycle, and they never really got traction, and then they disappeared. And uh, I kind of label myself as a as a skeptic, but open-minded skeptic. So when mm-hmm. anything is introduced to our industry, and and when battery started to get a little bit more interest uh, inside our business. I sat back and watched in regards to uh, its its natural evolution. And, and I'm really starting to see the interest uh, by uh, communities, you know, primarily larger communities at this point. They seem mm-hmm. to have a little bit more uh, financial uh, resources. And a lot of them are more focused on being energy efficient. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the conversations that you and I had um, before we decided to have this discussion online for everybody else can to hear it was, you you gave me some numbers. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I've learned was electric or battery-powered equipment has grown an interest in the industry, but Ontario was a slow out of the gate. We weren't as yes. quick as everybody else to embrace it, but that mm-hmm. seems to be changing. So how is the landscape in my backyard changing when it comes to electric equipment.
0: Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I had a conversation about two hours ago to this podcast uh, being taped um, regarding this. And so I want to say roughly 36 to 40 months ago, less than 3% of the, of the ice resurfacers in the Ontario marketplace were electric Um, as of today. And I'll speak of Zamboni company limited uh, would be 35 to 42%. Um, electric ice surfacers being sold in the province of Ontario, and that's continuing to grow. The one thing that, uh, from a provincial standpoint, government standpoint, that they didn't do, um, what our other provinces have done, is the the funding and initiatives to go green from a greenhouse gas initiative. Um, They were quicker in other provinces to be able to support the, uh, the private sector and public sector. Um, from a an ISO servicer standpoint. Ontario is starting to pick it up, but not really as much as what the other provinces are. So the initiative has really come from the municipalities um, themselves and wanting to uh, go green with their fleet departments. And um, roughly, I, I wanna say uh, 70% from what I understand, from what I've read of, of emissions uh, from a municipality operating their municipality, Comes from their fleet department and vehicles, Um, and they're changing that in Ontario um, because Mm -hmm. we can see what's happening. We see what we see what's happening right now um, uh, with the greenhouse gases and and so on and so forth. So, yeah, that's that's where we're at right now, Terry, uh, in the province of Ontario. Well,
1: I think think the other thing, Marty, that kind of blends into this is you know what uh, every third advertisement uh, on the media has to do with some sort. promotion from one of the the, ma- the car manufacturers in regards to their commitment to mm-hmm. either being 100% battery, electric, uh, whatever you want to call it, or, or a combination of both. Uh, and yes. so, I mean, I, I, I really think that uh, what's, what's shifting the marketplace, and like I said, I, I don't analyze these things and I'm not really qualified to analyze it, but a personal opinion is that there seems to be an acceptance on the reliability of the Mm -hmm. product, which in the early stages wasn't quite there. And, and, you know, from a practitioner's vantage point without, you know, shining a bright light on any manufacturer, the first evolutions of battery-powered ice resurfacer had some glitches in it that definitely had to be worked out to get us to where we're at. I think that was part of the resistance in the province of Ontario. We were kind of first in line with some of the battery technology, and it didn't fare well yeah mm-hmm. uh, and we got, that it's a big industry but it's a small industry and we talk about everything as practitioners so i i really think that was probably some of the stigma that came along with battery technology
0: no question unequivocally terry the the what we call the standard operating procedure from a battery maintenance standpoint um sometimes got misplaced and uh, shame on, uh, you know, not 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 shame on, that's probably not the proper wording, but um, due diligence, uh, both on OEM side and on operator side, uh, making sure that we're hitting the home run every time. And that's where the evolution of battery technology has come to today. We've now been able to take that whole SOP out of the equation uh, with lithium ion. And our customers now, um, plug, unplug, and play, or resurface, and it's yeah. that simple. Yeah, we've taken all the guesswork out of it, and uh, and the reception, and which is a big leader for us right now with lithium-ion in Ontario, is the fact of we've taken that out of the equation. They're going, so we don't have to do a hydrometer, we don't have to water, we don't have to do deep cycle charge once a week, and all this. Uh, nope. All you do is plug it in, and uh, when you're not using it, and unplug it. When you're using it, simple as that wow so the the decision makers are just going okay how do i go about getting this perfect so yeah that's where we're
1: at i I mean i go back to some of the earlier pictures that that you guys and you put out with battery technology and it almost looked like you had to be a a chemical engineer to be mm-hmm. able to balance the acid in the water, and and, and mm-hmm. really that was part of the problem. I agree with you. Is that, and and it's it's no different than fossil fuel. The biggest problem with the fossil fuel unit is our lack of maintaining the fossil fuel uh, piece of equipment, and that's usually mm-hmm. what it causes downfall. But we get to say that the the Zamboni failed when, in reality, it was either the management or the operator that often was the failure point, but they they get to shift that blame. So I, I have to agree with you. I, I think part of the advantage that we've got now as practitioners is that the manufacturers of battery, the R&D on the actual battery, because the first ones that came out, you know, we went through that whole thing. They're good for 32 resurfacings, and then it was about, uh, in a short period of time mm-hmm. later, it was down to 18 resurfacings, and then it was, oh, mm-hmm. you have to opportunity charge, and there was a whole pot of growing pains that we went through, but what I'm learning from this generation of, of battery technology is that it's exactly how you just explained it. It's, it is it is simple, it's, it's plug and play, and if mm-hmm. you do the general maintenance uh, as set out, which is not difficult or complicated, uh, the life cycle of the battery is literally uh you know the uh, that uh, that 8 to 10 year again depending on how much and uh, anytime we talk we talk about a a typical ice rink operation there's some out there that are going to run 24 hours a day and there's others that work, run that 8 10 hour a day so it's the 8 mm-hmm. 10 hour a day operation that that I'm talking
0: about yeah exactly and and you know uh, there uh, in the last uh, 12 to 16 months uh, Terry Uh, Major, uh, I want to say, larger municipalities um, have made this change, and uh, they recognize through their own due diligence and research uh, on their side uh, to investigate, uh, and I'll speak to lithium-ion battery technology today, where it was from DC to uh, AC, now lithium. Um, They've done their own research um, through their other capital expenditures with the rest of their fleet. Uh, uh, reserve, or their fleet uh, machines, being buses, being fire trucks, whatever the case may be that are going electric. Mm-hmm. Um, so the due diligence on their side, they've taken that time to investigate, which is really good, uh, keeps us in check and making sure that uh, what we inspect we expect and likewise for them. So it's exciting times uh, with what's happening yeah. in the industry. And for our customers, initially, this is the biggest challenge, Terry, from my side, doing what I do for the company, is walking into a facility, and I've had this happen so many times, where you have the experienced operators that are just fossil fuel, be LPG, CNG, and know that they have a workhorse underneath their bum, and they can get the ice resurfacing done without any issues. They're challenged coming forth and the obstacles that they all have come forth with are how's this gonna last? Is it gonna be able to keep up? Is it gonna be able to handle the load and taking out ice and all this kind of stuff and until they try it and they go, wow, never expected this, never expected. So yes, the industry has come a long way uh, from an OEM standpoint uh, with uh, battery slash electrical ice resurfacers. Yeah, it's good.
1: Yeah. So I, I mean the the other thing that I've watched and, and, and respectfully, you know, I, I appreciate the position that you hold with Zamboni is that you sell Zambonis, right? I mean, and, mm-hmm. and one of the things I found with the manufacturers, all the manufacturers, they're a lot more transparent than they ever were in the beginning of this this the, the, the growth of the industry, which is which is exciting. So well, you know, when I explore the cost of mm-hmm. a of an electric machine versus a fossil fuel machine and i'm i'm taking the my old facility manager's hat and knowing that i'm going to have to go into council Mm -hmm. and do that pitch to Mm -hmm. upgrade my my piece of equipment and when i take a look at an electric unit and i take a look at a fossil fuel unit there's a pretty big price change for the upfront costs but Mm -hmm. what i need to understand is what's the return on investment and what i'm hearing from those that are buying this equipment, Marty, is that they're saying, you know what, Terry, yeah, it's costing me, and I'm gonna throw numbers, uh, mm-hmm. anybody listening to this needs to understand, these are discussion numbers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, el- the electric's potentially gonna cost between 40 and $50,000 more than what a fossil fuel machine is. But what the mm-hmm. practitioner tell me is saying, you know what, Terry, I'm paying for my maintenance costs upfront. I don't have to worry about downtime because an electric machine compared to a fossil fuel machine is a lot less labor intensive for me to be able to maintain it and mm-hmm. i don't i no longer have to budget for the fossil fuel cost itself be it propane or natural gas which which sounds minimal but when you add it up over the life cycle of of a typical ice resurfacer it's pretty significant
0: Sure. Well, let me let me uh, walk you through an actual ROI spreadsheet uh, that I'm looking at right now that I use daily in the industry. And I'll speak to the actual operating costs of a fossil fuel being an LPG uh, compared to uh, a lithium ion machine. So just to give you an example, the variables, take a facility doing 15 resurfacings a day, average 15 minutes per resurface, operating their ice resurfacer 250 days a year, their actual rink rate shop rate is 20 bucks an hour our service rate let's call it a buck 25 and using a typical per bottle of lpg 22 resurfacings per bottle so what does that mean what's that filter out to look like at the at the tail end of total cost of ownership total cost of ownership is based on 10 years that's what i use the cost mm-hmm. per uh, for electricity uh, per flood on, on a lithium-ion machine is 36 cents, on a fossil fuel being LPG is $1.14. So the average running cost per year on a lithium-ion machine works out to roughly around $2,200 on a fossil fuel, fuel LPG machine, $8,200. So mm-hmm. the spread at the end of 10 years works out to roughly twenty-six dollars to $27,000 savings going with electric on the life cycle of the machine compared to a fossil fuel. Hmm. There is a significance. Yes, it's roughly around thirty-five dollars to $40,000 difference between the upfront capital expenditure, but the long-term of the machine and the cost of operating that machine. Again, no oil changes, no, no, uh, nothing to do with the engine whatsoever, strictly because uh, what you do on the back end of our conditioner, no matter what machine, is still the same. But where, where yeah. the difference is, is the front end. The the fleet departments, their mechanics, you can't even touch the batteries; they're sealed on lithium ion, so there's no involvement whatsoever. It's everything on the, below the d- driver uh, when it comes to the conditioner, and that's where yeah. your costs are. So,
1: it's yeah. I, I think it's important, Marty, that we we you know, revisit history.
0: Ooh. In
1: reality, when we started down the battery or the electric unit pathway, it had nothing to do with the energy costs. And, I mean that that was that was the sidebar to the whole thing. The reality was is that we were trying to deal with poor indoor air quality and ice arena right. and, and battery technology Definitely uh, uh, filled that void because it was mm-hmm. taking the fossil fuel equation out of it. We weren't talking about cost per floods, and we weren't, you know, uh, th- that's a sidebar that we've got into as a, as a as you as the manufacturer as a selling feature. But really, you know what? A- and the pandemic has amplified that the the necessity for us to understand the indoor air quality contributors and air exchanges. Uh, post-pandemic is going to be significant. So the, you know, the dovetailing of the electric technology uh, uh, at this point in time just naturally fits very
0: well. It does. It does. And uh, you know, all these new facilities are multipurpose facilities that are being uh, built. You have the, you have your uh, seniors area that, and the walking areas and everything. So air quality is so crucial um uh, when uh, dealing with their actual ice resurfacers and the the rinks themselves that uh, they have to be cognitive of their customer base uh for all parts of that community center and that's why um, the municipalities are switching to electric certainly influencing the decision going to electric due to as you say air quality yeah
1: yeah i mean i mean the business plan approach in regards to the return on investment is going to be critical as as we move forward and and we try to get the the can he, the key uh, financial holders, which are usually uh, a mayor and council or board of directors to make mm-hmm. that decision. And unless I can put that business case study forward, it's not going to work. And, mm-hmm. and what what i like is that as much as i'm getting it from you as as the salesperson or one of the sales team at at Zamboni i'm hearing the same things from the front line so that kind of mm-hmm. substantiates for us in our role as, as you know the industry watchdog in regards to what happens it's not our job to Acid test or field test, any any new product or or anything a manufacturer is saying, our, our job is to collect the information, what I refer to as from frontline users. And when mm-hmm. the frontline users are coming back to me and they're saying, it this makes sense. This has got a return on investment. This is the way of the future. That solidifies it for us. And what I'm trying to do is balance out how quickly we've got to shift what we're doing as an organization in, spe- mm-hmm. in, in respect for our training. Because, you know, you've been involved with us for quite a while in regards to the delivery of our courses. And we just kind of gave electric lip service when it came to mm-hmm. speaking to the students in the classroom. I mean, we kind of just introduced the Zoom and treated it like it was going to be a fad. When in reality, it's probably the way that we're going to conduct business moving forward.
0: And that's how fast this industry is turning, uh, changing, uh, as you know, Terry, yep. Uh, yep. from our side all the way back to the operational side. And and we have to adapt, as, uh, of course, as well, uh, and giving the best uh, for our customer base that uh, we possibly can and, and be stewards of the environment as well, uh, making decisions that we make and it's exciting i know i mentioned it earlier in the podcast but uh, what's coming out soon uh, our new ice resurfacer it's uh, it's exciting so uh, hold on to your hats folks <laughs>
1: yeah but but you know what, Marty? Uh, because we're talking about the training and and obviously that's my wheelhouse mm-hmm. the reality is is that and we talk about this in class right mm-hmm. the, the 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 ice resurfacer the Zamboni you, you can call it whatever you'd like but it's got a lot of different evolutions of what pulls the business in, which is the most important end of the whole process, right? I mean, we started off pulling them by hand. So it was people powered and, you know, Mm -hmm. horses were involved. Then we went to tractors and and then we went to the self propelled. And then we went through that whole evolution of fossil fuels. We tried every one of them. We did. Mm -hmm. We've done gasoline. We've done diesel. We've done propane. We've done natural gas, you know, some have monkeyed around with hydrogen, which was unrealistic. But we've basically field tested every one of them. And, and so, what I'm, I'm envisioning here is that battery technology is going to be the primary um, power source to the ice surfacer moving forward. Where it used to be, propane was number one, natural gas was was number two, gasoline kind of got thrown in there as as the third bridesmaid and then battery technology uh, you know was
0: a nicety and and
1: that that wheel is basically turned completely where battery is kind of moving to the forefront
0: it is number 1 unequivocally it is number 1 terry battery is where everyone's okay. going being green uh, from our side that's what we see at zamboni uh, the more inquiries, uh, RFPs uh, or tenders ty- uh, with the specs for tenders are requesting battery-operated, uh, specifically lithium-ion. And even, and that's the other interesting thing from the end users—they're recognizing the difference between lithium-ion and alternative current or AC lead-acid batteries, uh, which yep. we talked about earlier in the conversation, where zero maintenance yep. is uh, is the SOP, and they're just going, bring it on.
1: Well, and that's the other thing we need to touch on, Marty, because that was kind of some of the growing pains mm-hmm. that the industry went through while the manufacturers, you know, presented a different battery technology is that some batteries required a significant shift in the design of the actual storage area that the mm-hmm. ice receiver is going to be put in because mm-hmm. of the charging equipment and because of, of the battery itself that the, the when the battery was being charged the fumes that were coming from it was was pretty significant so mm-hmm. I, I mean that's the other uh, point if somebody's putting together an rfp and they're trying to navigate the different battery technologies out there is they better understand that some of them may require a complete redesign of the ice resurfacing room which is an additional cost outside the purchase of the piece of equipment and i've had a couple of members surprised with that when they made their final choice and what one what uh, unit they were going to purchase.
0: Yeah, definitely uh, with uh, retrofits uh, within their uh, Zamboni room, there is a, a cost involved, unless they uh, have it available pretty close, uh, running uh, for the three phase 600 amp uh, uh, system or power source for the charging units, uh, there's a cost involved in that. Um, and where they actually put the charging units, so I've ran in situations, uh, where the charging units had to be put in a separate room and, and a hole being uh, punched out of a cinder block to run uh, their yeah. uh, power cord through due to the fact of the structure of the building being as old as it is. I mean, yeah. there's still a lot of facilities out there that are from the 1970 Ontario's uh, uh, grant availability that have very tiny um, uh, Zamboni rooms. And so we have to get creative yeah. sometimes, but there's a cost involved in that, no question.
1: Yeah, no, I no, I agree with you 100%. Is that I mean, we've got it's nice. It's it's almost like you know we're we're putting a Cadillac in, in an outhouse uh, <laughs> in some of these operations, right? I mean, uh, ultimately, at at the end of the day, and, and that's a whole other topic in regards to aging recreation facility operations. Yes. yes. Uh, um But you know what, we're, we're going to have to do what we can do with what we've got. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I have to agree between the battery ice servicer and you know what I was I was really quick to embrace the battery edgers. I mean, uh, if there's anything that the manufacturers introduced uh, in the in in my time with the industry was the battery. I mean, it went through some growing pains also, but you got the bugs worked out of that one. And anybody that's running fossil fuel the edging equipment is really behind the times because these battery powered units are are really Top line when it comes to maintaining uh, the edges and corners of our surfaces.
0: Yeah, no question. And going back to what I said earlier about the uh, new community uh, multifunction community uh, centers that are being built, they won't allow uh, p- uh, fossil fuel ledgers uh, to be used in the facilities due to the fact of uh, d- gymnasiums and walking uh, uh, areas for uh, customers. Um, they don't want those fumes from the uh, edges in the building. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, getting down to the last couple of, of things that, that I, I really wanted to talk about, in the end, you know what? I, I think I'll go for that big dirt nap before uh, all the fossil fuel machines are uh, are out of the our business. Uh, I think they'll slow, it'll be a slow, it'll be a quick turnover in some areas, but there's going to be, I mean, how many HDBs were still functioning 25 or 30 years after uh, you know they were released, right? So I mean, the Very fossil true. fuel machine w- will be here. Uh, I don't think uh, Zamboni is going to leave their customers that are best invested in this equipment uh, out in a lurch or any manufacturer. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just it's just not the way of the future, and that's the reality of it.
0: Yeah, when you have the big uh, the big uh, four, big five uh, auto uh, manufacturers. Uh, retooling and, and redesigning their plants uh, to go total electric. And I, I believe it's by 2035 in that sector that uh, the majority of plants will only be manufacturing electric machines uh, or electric vehicles. Yeah. Uh, that's an indication of uh, where the, our industry is going to be going for, as far as an isosurfacer is concerned. Um, yeah. It's already, I mean, over in Europe, uh, it's I, w- I want to say 80% of the isosurfacers in the European market are. Um, are uh, electric uh, and it's walking yep. that way over here as well.
1: Yeah, so I mean, so the last thing, and, and you know what, so that you, your listener understands the process is I put out a request for proposal. The Zamboni company is successful. They build the machine, mm-hmm. they bring the machine to my piece of, uh, my, to my building. They provide mm-hmm. me training with that piece of equipment. They're mm-hmm. gonna provide me with post sale service. But in reality, it now becomes my responsibility to be prepared for the worst case scenario. And, you know, I've watched the news, uh, not that many, but there's not that many battery powered uh, vehicles that are on the road when compared to fossil fueled yet. But there's been some really uh, unique accidents that the local fire departments uh, haven't been quite sure on how to deal with them because they, they don't know, you can call it a battery electric, they don't know what they're dealing with until they get there. So mm-hmm. from our our vantage point as ORFA, one of the things we have on our radar for this year, and we're, we're gonna be in contact obviously with the, all manufacturers, including uh, you guys, um, is being properly prepared, preparing staff should something goes wrong. And as I said to you in a previous conversation, you know what, NASA's got the best engineers in the world, but even they go have some accidents from time to time that you know should have been projected and they weren't prepared for them. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things we have on our radar is our yeah. members actually prepared for a piece of equipment that fails for whatever reason. We're we're not going to lay blame. We're just going to say, you know mm-hmm. what? Everything mm-hmm. has the potential to fail. And are we actually prepared to be able to deal with it?
0: Yeah. And and as an OEM, we uh, we have to take responsibility to make sure we're we're covering that off in design and development and research, but also in the training aspect, as you mentioned earlier. So just to give you an idea of our lithium ion machines, we have an actual uh, shut off uh, right on the dash that completely disconnects the batteries from the battery system. If there was anything to fail, including a fire, we have safety interlocks on our machines that uh, uh, inhibit the ability of an operator to operate the machine if it's being charged. Um, where you've seen in the past a, a floodwater hose and a floodwater intake, and forget to uh, pull it out and they're pulling a a hose off the wall or even a CNG fill station uh, with a a line in the CNG uh, uh, coupler uh, getting pulled off. Um, We've taken it to the stretch where that can't happen. Um, uh, Just from a safety uh, protocol to make sure we have those proper interlocks in place. So that being the case, can things happen? Like you said, Terry, no question. And we develop and we continue to learn and recognize um, that if we have missed something, we'll certainly uh, be able to, uh, do redesigns. Um, but the second part of it is the training is making sure that our customers, the operators are being trained so that they understand worst case scenario. What do I do? Here's step A, B, and C. This is what you do. And, uh, and put it into your, uh, SOP, at uh, your facility so that uh, everyone's on the same page if something should occur.
1: But you know, Marty, and, and and this is again from what we do as an association, 95% of the stuff that we do is preparation for something that we hope that we never have to use. And this is just this is just one more element. I mean, the majority of, of the stuff that we do has got an emergency plan. I mean, every SDS has got, you know, emergency information on it and anticipation that you're never going to have to use it. The point mm-hmm. that I think that I was trying to make was that we're going to have to go back and reevaluate our SOPs because we don't have a fossil fuel machine. So I guess that's the reminder I want to make to the yeah. practitioners saying, you've got some homework to do after the manufacturer drops this state-of-the-art piece of equipment off. And, you know, I, I truly do respect the investment that the manufacturers have made in this equipment to make them as safe as possible. The the, the safety devices, the approaches to, to try and make sure that operators don't hurt themselves. It always amazes me how much effort an operator puts in to actually hurt themselves because you guys have put so many safeguards in place that they go out of their way to disconnect or uh, <laughs> skirt around a safety device for whatever reason. And then, uh, and I'm always embarrassed that you guys, the manufacturer end up on the front page of the paper when in reality, that's uh, that's not the fact. So, yeah. Hey, what can we do?
0: It happens. It happens. And that's why, you know, we continue to support our, our, our industry, our steward uh, being the RFA, um, you know, specifically in the IME, course, uh, as things change on our side, we make sure that we provide that information back to you folks so that your, uh, your customers, your students coming in for that program are up to speed um, on what's changing uh, specifically from the uh, standard of uh, safety uh, in the iso surfacer part of the world. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, Marty, I, I'm going to be leaving your classroom now. I've been sitting uh, in the front of the class tentatively in regards to all the wisdom you had to expel. And and as I said, when I started off here, as I approach these things saying, look at I don't know much about this topic, so I'm going to search out somebody who, who's, who's definitely up to speed in regards to the changes, so that I can understand what's happening, so that I can change the things that we're doing as an organization. But I mean, ultimately, the information that you've given me here today, I hope somebody takes the time to listen to, to what it is that we've discussed, because I think it's important. If you're if you're if you're going down that path of considering uh, electric uh, technology. Uh, then these are the kind of questions that need to be answered. So hopefully uh, we've uh, we've succeeded in in putting together uh, some information that's going to be useful moving
0: forward. Well, from our previous podcast, Terry, that we've done, the feedback I've gotten from the operator and uh, operation side or customer side has been very positive and I have no doubt uh, this one will uh, receive uh, uh, applaud as well. And it's always enjoyable to have you as a, a guest and, and what a great student you are. I don't know about the teacher, but anyways, it's been a pleasure. Again, as always, Terry, I look forward to seeing you soon, uh, hopefully sooner than later. And uh, I think uh, we'll have more to talk about as there's change occurring uh, down the road uh, within the industry. So, Terry, thanks again for spending time with us today. I want to thank everyone for listening to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. If you have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode, please email your questions or request info at zamboni.com. For more information on additional podcast episodes, please visit zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and spotify this is your host marty elliott with my guest terry pichet wishing you an ice day